everybody. Welcome to the Chiluminati Podcast, episode 103, as 103, 123, I'm sorry, 123,000. Yeah. yeah, 103,000. I, as always, am one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by my two co-hosts, uh, Batman and Robin from Cali. Did I say that? I don't think I've said that yet. No, you haven't. Uh, okay, Alex which, and Jesse. That's that's an easy one. That's like one of my easy. Like I haven't thought of it. There we I'm go. Gonna, I'm gonna go with the regular internet opinion. I'm gonna say I'm probably Robin in this scenario. But if I am Robin, what Robin am I? I was gonna say it's important. I think to 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 at least figure out which version of the characters we're talking about you're, here. You're you're Nightwing for sure. I'm Nightwing. I'll take yeah, that. That's fucking sick. That's yeah, a good is, one. That's a, yeah, that's a good yeah, one. I don't that's think a there's a better one. Robin than Nightwing, to be honest with you. Are you like Michael Keaton's Batman? No, guessing? I am 1960s Batman. Let's yeah, not of pretend. You are. The Batusi. <laughs> Adam West. Yeah, I know. If you can't be the Batusi, why even be Batman? It's more important than <laughs> yeah, saving why people. Why bother? Yeah. Why bother? <laughs> Some days you just uh, can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> just I'm like shark I repellent. Can't. It all checks out. <laughs> yeah. It all checks out. He hates sharks. Do you think? Yeah. Do you think you would have on your tool belt the link to our Patreon? Yeah, and if I typed it into my bat browser, I would go to Patreon.com/slash Chiluminati Pod, and I would say, "Sounds Batman. It looks like there's some sort of deal at the website," and I'd say, "Deal." Sail boat, a sailboat. We have to take a sailboat to the mini sods that we get from from the Patreon. At, 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 the, at, I'll let you know. I'm, I'm, the Riddler I'm got you on this, this one. I, I just don't know, know where the Riddler going. won this one. <laughs> the Riddler, look. Here's the thing. It's not my fault that he hid the mini sods on the boat. But if you're looking around after this show for another 15 minutes of show, hop right on the boat. That is e- at patreon.com slash Illuminati pod. You know what I'm saying? And I like to think that the bat computer's homepage is patreon.com slash Illuminati pod. Yeah. I mean, look, what other website is there? That's my question. It's literally a great question. Point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, also, before we get into it, thank you guys for supporting us on Patreon. Obviously, our new T-shirt is launched alongside the poster of God, last month's T-shirt. Good. It looks it this looks is, like it's from the side of an arcade cabinet. It looks so sick. It's uh, yeah, it's all the cryptids we've done on a T-shirt so far, all on one cover. Uh, it's the fearsome four is what they're calling it or the frightening four. Sorry. Uh, it's just it's a super cool cover. You got to check it out. Only be available till uh, November 15th. It's sick. That's all I can say. It's super cool. It's it's a spoof on like um the idea was to uh, do like a spinoff of like the Sinister Six idea I with love these it. guys. So that's that's what the kind of cover you're looking at. So go check that out, please. It's a Yeti dot com. The Yeti with two E's dot com slash collections slash Illuminati. You can get the uh, Flatwoods Monster poster if you missed out on the T-shirt or just get the poster because it's sick and you want to hang it out. What, on a, the wall, what a neat like I do. What a neat cryptid. The Flatwoods Monster. The Flatwoods Monster, yeah. There, you owe it really to yourself to head to that website just to check out what the Flatwoods Monster looks like. It actually is a, a wild, wild monster. And also, Jesse, can I can I pitch you a game to your game studio live on the air right now? I would love to hear it. It's a fighting game, uh, and it's all the cryptids in America. Yep, perfect. Done. Done. So what is the title? Uh, it's called um, Cryptid Carnage. There you go. Done. Mm, that's very that's like early 2000s I mean, something, right, it's called, more modern the working title it's a working title it's called unbelievable uh, uh and you know what we're gonna need something more to, like ultra unbelievable x street fighter <laughs> oh no s- s- uh, super, the producer. super paranormal fighter 
Yeah. Two. Two. Super Paranormal Two. Fighter. I love Super Paranormal Fighter. That's uh, SPF. It checks out. Yeah. I love it. SPF <laughs> SPF 420. That's the name of that. That's what it's going to be called oh on God. Evo. Every time uh, every SPF, SPF, and then everyone calls it like, yeah, dude, you check out Ultra SPF 2? Oh my yeah. god. And then when we can get higher, SPF 20, yeah. we can we can make like a print ad where it's like, you know, like a hot lady and she's it's like her back. Oh, and like right someone like 90s. squirted at 420 or whatever. On her, you know, like Somebody 90s squirts ads. Mothman yeah. butt on her back. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. a hidden unlockable character would have to be the Bean Boy. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, he's the he's star. Like the, uh, I like it. He jumps out and punches your nuts off at the end of the game if you beat the game with no damage. <laughs> and, then you have to, and then you have to fight him. But he's like odd job. He's like one third the size of all the other characters. So he you can't right, hit, him you with hit him with like crouching attacks. Yeah, yeah. You have to crouch. And I would love it to be a platform fighter like Smash or something. That'd That's the only fun. way to fly at this point. That's what I'm saying. If it works for yeah, Nickelodeon, yeah. And it works for us. You know what I mean? Damn right. Anyway, that game is pretty, it's pretty good. Anyway, I no more. Should we stop uh, stalling and get into what is everybody's anticipated part three the final episode i just wanted to put a little ray of sunshine at the beginning for everybody before we remember this guy who fucking literally wears his victim's skin on his face yeah and uh, before we go into the episode a warning that this is going to easily be the grossest episode out of all three so do i have to be here you you do you get paid to be here by the patrons at patreon.com slash illuminati pod so oh man (laughs) would you Uh, say uh, would you say this is the grossest one ever the grossest it's, episode of the show ever made. The only one that I can can really compare. I mean, MK Ultra was pretty heinous, um, but I think physically gross. It can only compare it to, I'd say, like the Tommy Patera episode where you learn about how he dismembered the bodies and so on. OK, so it's, it's a lot pretty of body horror. So if, it's, if you get squeamish easy, just heads up. It kind of goes into that territory as we continue. With that being said, let's do the final part of Ed Gein. So last we left off. Dear old Eddie had taken his very first victim, the proprietor of Mary Hogan's bar herself, Mary Hogan. And late one night, had, uh, she had agreed to go back to Ed's farm with him. And that would be the last thing she'd ever get to do before Ed put a shotgun to her face. With, with Ed himself making light of the fact that he murdered Mary only a couple of days later while in conversation with local farmer Elmo Uik. But Elmo wasn't the only one to actually Who? hear Ed's grim joke. We tell you, we talked about the end of Elmo last episode. Eek. Yeah, you know? It's U E E C K. I don't know how you would you pronounce weak? that. You he sounds like weak. he came from a portal to another dimension where everything's just a little different. <laughs> Farmer Elmo, dude. Farmer Elmo Week. But it sounds again, like a he wasn't the David only Lynch one. Well, he was. <laughs> well, he was the first one to hear that joke. It actually became well known that although Ed was rarely around. When he when he was and the Mary Hogan incident came up, he always made a weird comment about it alongside his strange sideways grin that he always wore and an awkward laugh, responding by saying things like she's at the farm right now or something like I went and got her in my pickup truck and took her home. These are all quotes that like people remember Ed saying to them and he always brought it up. I mean, okay, look, dude, (laughs) dude sucks. Right. But what he did, unforgivably heinous. 100%. I totally know the feeling of somebody joking that I did something, uh, not believing that I actually did it, but me knowing that I actually did it and how gleeful that is. Uh, 
it's just weird to think about that. It's like killing a person. It's like murder and having a corpse in your house. Yeah. 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 A little bit different. Definitely a step up from, from that particular general feeling, but the people's reaction and the people's response as always, when it came to Ed was to snicker and shake their head at all Eddie's lame attempt at humor. All the while he's literally straight up confessing to their faces as often as he possibly could straight up. Nobody ever went to go check the house ever. But eventually, the conversation around Mary Hogan did die down, and Ed slipped back into being the neighborhood shut-in and weirdo, but still someone the town trusted inherently. So much so that even though Ed's farmhouse at this what? point was a... Com- <laughs> Why do <laughs> yeah. they... Tr- everything, we, everything we've talked about up to this point is like, people being like, what a weird dude. Like, he kept looking at me funny, yeah. he did this, but everyone's like, you know what? Trust him with my kids. Like, what? It makes no sense. Literally, and that's what we're about to get into. It's, what is it's, he like? It's, He's got to be like, have you ever heard of that 19 year old Nazi that killed people? Like what? Like, no, what? never brought that up. No, we saying, never like, talked about that. Like how, like, what does he have to talk to these people about if those are his interests? He's yeah, like, I, it, you ever well, carve in your own vagina out of somebody's vagina <laughs> and you have one of those things where you get that cramp in your finger? Like, you know well, what I mean? It's the idea again, too, that we talked a little bit about last episode. Ed didn't really get along. Not that didn't get along with adults, but him and adults just didn't jive well, as well as he got yes, along with kids. Why then would they be like, well, I trust him. I trust him. Yeah. Because it was, I don't know, the, the, the 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s all through his life and people in a small town where everybody knew each other and didn't think Eddie, who they'd known for decades, was capable of this kind of thing. I guess that's true. They probably just assumed he was weird. Augusta's kid. And, and he just kind of like became a, a hermit. Nobody saw the inside of his house or should say, oh, correction, very few people saw the inside of his house. And we're going to get into that here in a second. But for the most part, all they could see was the outside, the if ignored farm and Ed's re- random weird appearances at like Mary Hogan's bar where he would sit quietly or try and converse people with awkward conversation that never really went anywhere. That's just crazy because I like have friends who I would never even let look after my dog right you know what i mean yeah, like I know, people that i, I like know. love in my life who i would never even I'm with you and that i i still <laughs> wonder why they let their kids over that house because that's what i'm saying they trusted him so they trusted him so much though that even though ed's farmhouse at this point was a complete mess parents still let their kids go over to his house to hang out with ed And you know what it probably rarely, just was is just media. Like once right. what's what's that kid's name? Gosh. I can't remember his Got first what? name. There's like a Excuse kid. Me? He was like the first kid who was like actually on a milk carton. Cause he got like just dead ass. He was like abducted off his paper route or something like that. Oh, and, I have no idea. No. I mean, it's the same thing as like when Jaws came out and then people were like, oh, my God, blockbuster movies. Now we like that's a thing we care about. It's the same thing yeah. with like, oh, people like kill each other or like when what's his name uh, uh, the, from the Quentin Tarantino movie, um, Charles Manson, like when he like fucked mm. up that family of people and like, you know, just in the middle of the day when everybody was leaving their doors unlocked, you know, it changes culture. Sure. Right. So maybe it's just had to do with the fact that like. At the time of Ed Gein, maybe people weren't thinking like maybe this guy yeah. would peel We're their skin the 50s off. Yeah. Now, like early to mid 50s. So still a lot of like, I think a lot of trust amongst amongst people's communities and stuff. Um, but to be fair, Ed rarely, if ever, let anyone into his home. But the son of Irene and Lester Hill, a boy by the name of Bob Hill, was an exception. Ed had no Ed, again, Ed had no real adult friends, but he did have a few teenage ones. 
and those who he considered his friend got to see some of Ed's strange collections. On one occasion, Bob, who I think around this time was around 13, claims that while he was visiting Eddie, Ed uh, excitedly wanted to show him some of his actual shrunken heads that he was uh, collecting. Ed scurried inside with excitement when Bob said sure and came back out holding a pair of preserved human heads with leathery skin, matted hair and hollowed out eye sockets. Even into adulthood, Bob Hill believed that they were entirely real and he had asked Ed where he'd got them, where his response was that he got them from. They were real South Seas shrunken heads sent over by his cousin who had fought in the Philippines in World War Two. That would like traumatize me for my life. Yeah. And one and two, I do not believe that that's the case. (laughs) I do not think he got them from his cousin in the Philippines who was fighting in World War Two. Imagine what they they were taken from like graves and he like was doing it himself because he was heavily into the research. Yeah, I can't imagine. And, And there's another reason I believe that he was doing them himself. And we'll get to that later. But I just don't I don't think that's true. I don't think there was a cousin sending him shrunken heads in the mail in the 1950s. I don't know. Maybe somebody out there was getting mailed shrunken heads. I just don't think I would never mail anybody that. No, I I think they might not talk to me again. If I if they open a fucking package, and there was a man's head inside. You know, that scene (laughs) in Wild Wild West where Will Smith is like, that is a man's head. And then they have to flip the head upside down so they can see the vision. That's how I would be. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to get over a few movies I have seen. A real master classic. (laughs) <laughs> the Wild, Wait, Wild what? West. That's one you've seen, seen huh? Godfather. That's, I have seen, seen it multiple <laughs> times, actually, as a kid. Yeah. Was it the song that got you? Let's be real. Did the song, was it the... Wow. No, but I did think the huge robot spider was sick. I liked the robot spider a lot. You're like the kid that that fucking producer has been looking for this whole time. Literally, I was that kid. I was the kid, the producer, who was desperate to shove that thing into any movie he was looking for. It was me. And I was like, that's a cool robot. Uh Anyway, back to Ed Gein. However, there was a younger pair of brothers from a family that lived a few miles from Ed's farm that had a much more intimate experience with Ed's farmstead. The two boys would regularly visit Ed to hang out for hours at a time, spending time inside the farmhouse. And for the older brother, he actually played cards with Ed in Ed's kitchen. The younger brother, who wasn't a huge fan, a fond, uh, hugely fond of, ca- of card games at that time, was left to his own devices to play with things scattered across Ed Gein's floor. You know, empty cans of beans, dirty discarded clothing, mouse droppings, things about you know, fun, made of nipples. fun kid things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, those were those were not being out in the left out in the open <laughs> per se. But I've got a quote for one of you. Uh, here's what one of the boys, the youngest of the two, said decades later while he was middle aged about the whole thing. So, uh, you know, whoever wants to read this may. I will say Jesse, you'll get the first read here. I'll put it in Zoom. Okay. Send it to Zoom. Zoom. There you go. This is what he said about Ed Gein, his visiting with Ed Gein. Okay. Cards didn't fascinate me at all at that particular time, but Eddie had other things like a tool that would punch holes in leather or paper. I'd spend my time doing that while my brother and Eddie played cards. One of these times when we were over there, I ran out of paper and asked Eddie where I could get more. He told me to go into his bedroom. When I went around the corner, there were three heads hanging on the door. Just the heads. The faces were were dried and they had hair on them. Remember those African movies with the shrunken heads? 
That's what they look like. Not really shrunken. I'd have to say they were the actual size of a head, but skin, hair, and all that. I didn't say anything. When we walked home, I asked my brother what the heads could be, and he told me they were probably Halloween get-ups, and I was young enough I believed it. I never asked Eddie about it. But from that particular time, or shortly thereafter, Eddie no longer let my brother or me into the house. Yeah, so that's why I think he was shrinking the heads. I think he was just severing heads from the corpses of the graves he robbed. Because like, remember, he'd always... Why? This is like... Um, well, you had a fascination like, with that stuff. It's like stuff. the Adams Family. This is crazy. But it's, the Adams Family again, never... Like, there was never an episode where Gomez was like, Morticia, tonight, when we make love, I want you to wear my skin. <laughs> like, it wasn't like... <laughs> never happened. It never happened. Do you no. think do you think Ed Gein ever said good fright? <laughs> uh, 100%. And I have a theory that I've had this theory for a while. If you ever meet a person and when they say hi to you they say greetings. Killer. Killer. <laughs> I guarantee he said Fedora greetings wearing, when addressing definitely. people. He was like greetings. Not like yeah. goofy greetings. like greetings. Not like that, but literally just like greetings. No, like a real That's two a killer. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah, like the Tuvok. <laughs> yeah, I got gotcha. you. Uh, he's going to stab you. Or he's, he's one bad day away from stabbing yeah, you. Yeah, Tuvok is a Vulcan, but like if it was a human sure, no, with I got Tuvok you. properties, that's where you want to watch out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and since Plainfield was an extremely small town who had very little going on in their day-to-day lives, rumors and gossip spread like wildfire. And it wasn't long before the rumor of Dear Eddie Gein's shrunken head collection was being whispered amongst the town folk. Yet, perhaps unsurprisingly at this point, none of the locals seemed to actually care. In fact, it merely became another fun anecdote of strange little Ed Gein in town. Because of course someone like Ed Gein would have a collection of shrunken heads from the South Seas in that farmhouse of his. Now, it's unclear as to why, but around this time in Ed's life, he had an urge to get away. And he began to toy with the idea of selling off the farmhouse or getting rid of it in some uh, somehow. So much so that he actively actively approached two of his neighbors, Donald and Georgia Foster, who resided in West Plainfield and asked if they'd be interested in maybe buying the property. But I'll let Georgia describe how the whole thing went down. This will be for you to read, Alex. Uh, Once again, I'll put it in a. Send it to Zoom. Send it to Zoom. Two, one, three, four. Hello? All right. It's not copy pasting for some reason. Well, you can again. drop it in the Twitter too if you need. Yeah, I'm going to try that because then it's not working. No over worries. Here. I can just think more about classic PBS show Zoom uh, instead, which, uh, you know, Z-mail. If you're in, yeah, if you know, you know. That's all yeah. I can say. Uh, Ed came around and wanted to know if we'd like to trade our house for his farm. We, only, we have only an acre or so of land, and we thought the idea was worth considering, so we went out to look his place over. We looked into all the rooms except the front bedroom, and one room right off what I suppose was originally the dining room, but that Ed used for a bedroom and a living room. He had the door closed to that one room. He said it was just an old pantry and was filled with junk. We didn't see anything to make us suspicious. The place was awfully dirty and full of stuff piled all over the floor. It was pretty dark, too. He had those dirty old curtains at the windows, so we couldn't see much. The kids have always brought back stories about him having shrunken heads there. So when we were upstairs in the house, I kidded Ed about it. I pointed to one of the bedrooms and I said, is that where you keep your shrunken heads? He gave me a funny look. My husband looked at me too, and I wish I hadn't said it. 
But then Ed gave that little grin of his and pointed to another room. No, he said. They're in this other room over here. People are always kidnapped about things like that. <laughs> and that's and that's the general con- like that little transaction is like the perfect encapsulation of I think how the town saw him. Like even being in the house, seeing how disgusting it was, the doors locked and joking about heads that he was like, yeah, no, they're in the other room. They were still like, that's Ed. That's just Ed. Don't worry about him. Wonder where Mary Hogan went, by the way. Like it just it didn't <laughs> click ever. Just not once. In the years between Ed's first murder of Mary Hogan and his second uncommitted yet one that we'll cover in a little bit, Ed continued his usual escapades of body horror furniture making and the occasional grave digging. Body one horror in per- furniture? Yeah, yeah. You can, we'll, we'll talk all about that in a little bit. It's so nasty. Have you I ever just, seen I, these? I have, so, I have so many questions now because like, God. Don't we got to his we, house we like, find- hey, Ed. Uh, like, uh, you got a place that can sit and he like points to the man chair. You're not far off. It's like arrested development. (laughs) You're not far off. One woman in particular, though, had gathered, gathered Ed's attention recently. A recently deceased middle-aged woman named Eleanor Adams. Ed had known Eleanor for a long time prior to her death. And for years, he'd watch her quietly from the distance. Though his feelings about her were mixed a running theme in those that he ended up victimizing in one way or another. He'd see so much of his mother in her, and yet there was a clear infatuation that he had for her as well. He would not kill Eleanor, though, but wait for her passing, and in the dead of night, unbeknownst to her husband and children, shortly after her death, rob her grave and take her to his farmhouse. Jesus fucking Christ. She would then be worked into his human suit which we now know is a combination of the death mask, the breath, the breast vest and the, the vagina pants and all that stuff. What a horrible would put name on for a it. pair of, I know. And he would put on a pair of panties and while, and then he would go outside and traipse about in his front lawn in the moonlight, resurrecting his mother in that bizarre ritual. But none of that oh would save his inner dark desires forever. And soon Ed would have another live victim on his hands. And on Saturday, November 16th, 1957, Ed could no longer contain it anymore. A woman by the name of Bernice Warden had slowly become the obsession of Ed's. Purveyor of a shop simply named Warden's, Bernice was regarded as a very well-liked individual in Plainfield. Initially, the Warden shop was owned by her husband and a partner named Frank Canover. Eventually, though, her husband would buy out his partner's share of the store, and when the husband died, Bernice became the owner of it. In July of 1956, Bernice was named the very first Citizen of the Week for Plainfield, getting plastered right on the local newspaper's front page and described as a pleasant featured woman, solidly built, 58-year-old widow. Bernice Warden was a devout Methodist, a doting grandmother, and an exceptional businesswoman. Does that sound familiar to every other woman Ed's been obsessed with up to this point? Like so it's far. all the same yeah. freaking He definitely has archetype. a type. Yeah. Yeah. While Bernice was certainly the head honcho of the store, her son Frank helped out helped her out often and would be at the store daily to keep it up and running alongside his mother. Rarely would you have a day where Frank wasn't present. Over time, Ed's obsession with Bernice soured. She wasn't terribly fond of him, and he was spending more and more time at the store, loitering and attempting to make small conversation with Bernice, all while she simply saw him as the village idiot, 
but she tolerated Ed as the Geens had been good regular customers over the years to the, to the store and to her family. But to Ed, Bernice was another curse on his life. Another example of the undeserved sinning filth succeeding in place of his saintly mother, who in his eyes should be here instead. He would question why Augusta had to be the one to suffer and pass and not this Bernice woman, who only saw success in the face of even losing her husband. The universe, it seemed, was playing favorites, and Ed sought to balance the scales. On November 16, 1957, it was a rare day for the warden store, as her son Frank was nowhere to be found. Around this time of year, this was actually to be expected, however, as Frank was an avid deer hunter, and it was deer hunting season. The day prior, Ed was actually at the warden store asking about Frank's hunting schedule while also checking the price and asking about the price for antifreeze, confirming his hopes that the next day would be his day to seek reckoning on Bernice. And as Eddie entered the store the next morning, he saw only Bernice manning the register, the store otherwise entirely empty. He approached the register and asked for antifreeze that he was pricing the night before. Bernice filled his steel drum, took his money, wrote out a receipt, and Ed seemingly left without issue for a few minutes. But shortly after, Ed scurried back into the front door of the store and awkwardly made his way back up to Bernice at the register. He began telling her how he had been thinking about trading his Marlin rifle, which only fired a 22 short shots, for one that could accommodate all three 22 caliber bullets, short, long, and long rifle. Since it's the 50s in a small rural town, the warden store sold all kinds of things, including guns. Ed pointed up at a Marlin rifle that was being displayed behind Bernice, asking if he could check it out. Bernice responded by saying, sure, that's actually my favorite kind of rifle. Does she turn around then? And he's like, blop. Not yet. Oh, my oh. God. I'm just she wait, does I'm take waiting. the gun off the shelf and she hands the gun to Eddie. Eddie took the weapon into his hands and began to play with it and examine it a bit. As he examined it, Mrs. Warden strolled over to the front window of the store, gazing out across the street at the nearby convenience store. She continued casually chatting with Ed. Hey, Bud has a new car. I do not like Chevrolets. And that would be the last words she spoke. Ed Damn. snuck up behind her, loaded a 22 shell he had taken with him from his home into the rifle that he was looking at, lined up a shot, and fired killing Mrs. Warden on the spot. That is, I mean, like I was going to say, I don't know how you can ever own a gun store or store that sells guns and not be like constantly. Like, oh yeah. You want to check out the gun? Sure. But at the same time, be like ready to shoot a dude dead. Right. Because you don't know who's carrying bullets on them. Right. <laughs> like it's scary as hell. It's the, uh, it's like I said, you just weren't thinking about that. You know what I mean? Like this sounds no. like it's from a movie now. You know what I mean? It sounds like, like, I've never been a fan of those. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's just like a crazy, it's like dialogue from a from What movie, year did this happen? 1957. But this is like post-World War II. I yes. don't know, man. <laughs> but we're in a small rural town in the middle of East Bump, like bumfuck nowhere. You, I'm just letting you know. Having lived in small towns and lived in big cities, I don't trust no small towns is where you go to die. I know more people per capita are killed in bigger cities because there's more people. <laughs> I'm saying small town. Even people listen right now who live in small towns are worried about their small town because that's where <laughs> like the serial killers are. Oh, yeah. No, thank you. 
this is also an important kill to cover, like to talk about briefly because of how sloppy Ed is about it. He clearly like in my in my my opinion, I think he has second thoughts when he's buying the antifreeze and the leaves and stuff instead of doing it all at once. He does like actively leave and then go back in. Um, there's this weird, like, kind of like examine the gun kind of thing, but moreover, he's really bad at cleaning up the crime scene, which we're going to talk about. And it's important because as the time goes on, other missing persons went and got blamed on Ed, like post Ed being caught and captured. They start like a, a girl named Evelyn was like, maybe it was Ed's, maybe it was Ed's, but it doesn't like Ed was never very good at being quiet about it. And he never kidnapped anybody alive. He always killed them first and then took their bodies, leaving a very familiar trail both times. Do you think that was because, um, like, going back to his psychology, clearly I'm no expert. Sure. Not, yeah, that's that's Alex. Alex is the expert. But yeah. it seems like the reasoning behind the immediate killing of them rather than kidnapping them is, one, he's got a lot of, I, th- I think you're, you nailed it, where he's like, you know, he's overthinking, he's second thoughts, right? But also... The idea of he targets strong women and strong mm-hmm. women are who he relates to. But he also, I think, understands that he's like a pretty weak dude. Yeah, he's that's a point that comes up from the, the the townsfolk often is how small Ed is as a person. So he probably was afraid that, like, if he tried to kidnap them, he gets- these women who are basically represent his mother would kick his ass. Yeah. Right. He also is not a, a killer who clearly thrives or wants the kill part. He wants the product part. He wants the body afterward. He doesn't like take joy in the killing like Ed, Ted Bundy did or Dahmer experimenting with them, them before he like killed them off. It was very much of wanted like instant. He just kind of like did it and it was it. And that was all. I know you probably haven't seen this movie, but it reminds me of Sam Jackson's character in Kingsman. <laughs> who, like, <laughs> I've seen Kingsman. Like he can't handle violence, but he like definitely has to do it. <laughs> Yeah, like what a great character choice. Yeah, it's that kind of vibe. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's it just kind of all points to that. And I just I think this crime scene is important to point out because this is after a lot of the people who went missing had gone missing. So it just it they didn't add up. Unfortunately for Ed, unlike Mary Hogan's bar, though, the warden store wasn't tucked away from prying eyes. And this was the next morning, after all, in the middle of the day. Hmm. The convenience store was just across the street. But a gas station nearby also was within view. And as the company car left the rear of the store randomly, a local noticed it being driven by most certainly a man. While odd, it wasn't enough to set off alarm bells for this guy, as the wardens were known to hire locals to help out occasionally and drive the truck. So he went about his day. Yeah. So Ed literally got like pulled because he's trying to make the scene look like a robbery. Right. Uh, We'll get to the rest of the things here in a minute. But one of them was to take that car, drive it and park it far away or get rid of it. Right. So that particular man went about his day. Meanwhile, Ed was went back, got the body and loaded it into his own truck and started heading home. And, And the gas station sighting wouldn't be the only one. Local farmer Elmo out here. Here we go again with Elmo was also out deer hunting on this day. But he was hunting on Ed's property. Now, Ed hated when other people hunted on his property, aggressively clinging to his privacy for obvious reasons. But Elmo figured even if he did get caught, he'd just be able to talk to Ed and hash things out without without it getting bad. So he hunted on his property and got himself a deer, strapped it to his hood, and began to drive home that evening, leaving Ed's property. It just so happens, however, that as he was leaving Ed's property, Ed's truck 
came barreling down the dirt road in the opposite direction. This immediately jumped out as strange to Elmo, since Ed was known to drive painfully slow. Some townsfolk joking that you could outrun Ed uh, if you just tried hard enough. Hmm. To Elmo's surprise, Ed didn't slow down at all, nor seem all that upset that someone was clearly hunting and leaving with a deer from his property, waving as he sped past, and Elmo continued on. But Elmo, the sweet soul that he is, was being eaten alive by guilt later that evening. Having hunted on someone else's property, having clearly been caught, it was only right that he go back and apologize to Ed. And so later that same day, Elmo returned only to find Ed oddly next to his jacked up truck, swapping out his tires. Normally, this wouldn't be strange, I think, to most people, but it was late November and Ed was removing snow tires and replacing them with normal ones. Elmo continued, though, to apologize, later saying Ed had clearly very little interest in his company and seemed to almost wave him off like nothing bothered him at the moment. And this also answers the question how nobody could figure out whose tire tracks belonged to Mary Hogan's disappearance because Ed was changing his tires every time he committed a crime, it seems like, when he did like a murder, rather, specifically. Enough what a weird thought. idea for a plan. It doesn't even make sense. The it, tracks are going to lead to your goddamn house every time. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I get, yeah. I mean, yes. All it's I'm saying so is since this time, clearly we have all become detectives. We've watched enough TV <laughs> to be like, yeah. this would not fly. I would have found this guy out immediately. Like, yeah. The more you yeah, say, the more strange, like, how like, did no one catch this guy? It sounds like a, I can't even picture him as a real person. It, like, it feels like Babe Pig in the City to me. Like It, it feels like a made-up <laughs> fantasy place, and this guy's like a Tim Burton character. Yes. It sounds unbelievable <laughs> to me. Yeah, he gets away with so much. It's insane. And Ed, that evening... That wasn't the end of his visitation. That evening, Ed got visited again, this time by the nearby neighbors that we spoke about before with the two young boys who would play cards. The Hills. Same day? Bob, the same day that he killed he killed uh, Bernice, took yeah. her home, uh, Elmo came back, right. and now we're in the nighttime. <laughs> so two separate people interacted with him while he was in the process of dealing with this body. Yes, actually, this is a so I'm sorry. This is not the two kids who played cards. The one beforehand who saw the shrunken heads. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. But Bob, yeah, he came by again same night, and he came by with his sister Darlene, uh, and they approached in the evening asking for help. The family car had broken down, and they needed somebody to help with the battery. Oh my god! <laughs> and as Ed opened his front door, he was covered in blood. They had interrupted him as he was in the middle of taking Mrs. Warden apart piece by piece. But the kids didn't think much of it. They had gone hunting for rabbit and red squirrel with Ed before and assumed that he also hunted deer and that he was probably taking apart a deer. Ed agreed to help them, but needed time to wash up first. And after a few minutes, washed himself up and off he went. What? He helped with their car and the hills were so grateful that at the end of the day, they offered Ed to stay and eat a large meal with them, which Ed eagerly agreed to. He got to eat pork chops, boiled potatoes, macaroni and cheese, pickles, coffee and cookies. This happened during his murder. Like he like got up from a dead body, washed his hands, 
went and had a full dinner with the family, came back and finished making uh, like whatever he was going to make out of this body. We'll see if he gets back. But he did get to go do all of that. Like he got to do he got to have an amazing, amazing dinner. That is and Ed apparently ate it voraciously. It was a tough day of hard work after all for Ed. And in many ways, this was Ed's final supper. The clock was ticking. Ed just didn't know it yet. What the? As the night continued on, Bernice's son Frank had returned from deer hunting and went to the store as he would normally do before heading home. However, as he would find out, the store was locked with the lights still on and the register clearly missing. When he returned, when he entered the store, he saw clear signs of violence all too familiar to the Mary Hogan case. Blood splatters, smears indicating a dragged body out to a vehicle no longer there. Unlike the Mary Hogan case, Frank immediately had a hunch, as Ed had been hanging around more and more as the days went on. He called the sheriff to come and arrive at the store, and the sheriff agreed that it was clear something terrible happened. As soon as the two officers arrived, Frank blurted out, He's done something to her. And when they pressed him what he meant, he replied, Eddie Gein. He's been hanging around here a lot lately, bothering my mother to go roller skating and dancing to movie shows. So he had been trying to like initially when he was kind of like infatuated, had this initial obsession. He was asking uh, the mother out on dates, like to go out on dates with him, oddly. But unlike Mary Hogan's place, there wasn't always a crowd of people, both familiar and strangers, piddling around for hours, drinking and talking. The warden store was a store. And Ed hanging out there as often as he was for as long as he was, was instantly more noticeable. Moreover, Ed had been sloppy in his crime scene cleanup. Another indicator that what he was doing was never really wholly thought out. Ed left behind the handwritten receipt his mother had made that morning when he purchased the antifreeze. And Frank was in the store the night before when Ed was asking about the price of antifreeze. It didn't take long before the officers decided that they should probably pay Ed a little visit. Very, very so, brave. Like, very, very brave. <laughs> just to be like, that guy's a fucking murderer. Like, that's crazy. You know what I mean? That's just a wild yeah. thing to do to somebody. So good, good on him. It's nuts. Before they arrived, news of Bernice's disappearance was already making its way through town. After dinner, Ed was spending time with the Hills doing what else? Playing with their children. <laughs> Wait, but, all right. So I know we've said children a bunch of times. Yeah. But to date, he's never done anything to a child. Nope. Nothing. No, he just relates to them. Yeah. No, like yeah. it's just he, people. He did. We did have that suspicion that he choked out that 10 year old when he may have been going to kill her, his mother, because she was indecent in that bathing suit. But we don't. We, we other than that, we have no. But it doesn't seem like it. He doesn't seem like the person who killed because of indecency. No, yeah, it doesn't, at least not, it seems like he has to build up over the course of months and years, this justification that these people are sinners, because he seems to like them initially, and it just builds into a hatred. I get, man, I would, uh, does the books and things that, that you use for this, this little yep. project of ours, do they like really go into, you know, like the criminal minds portion of this. Like I would love to know the psychology behind. They, they go deep into the interviews that they had the police back and forth and that kind of thing. But again, you got to keep in mind, this is the fifties and during court, which we'll talk a little bit about, they deemed him sane enough for trial. So sure. he never got like the insane, like 
slapped onto him. He was considered sane for what, what that's worth. But beyond that, not, not really a more than just like the heavy police interviews. That's something you're interested in. Um, there's a, there's a few good, uh, really good documentaries out there too, that I would suggest you go check out if you want to like look into the true crime aspect of it. But yeah, his psychology is interesting. I mean, he just, um, it, it seems like it's a psychology one one case and that it's mm-hmm. so simple to figure out. Like, I don't know psychology, but I know enough to be like, Oh okay, no, that. Yeah. Okay. I get that. And I understand why he does that. And that makes sense. It seems like a lot of him also goes into what we consider modern psychology and modern, like looking at the way people think and, and trauma. And I mean, even the idea like he hangs out with kids because he, he's like stunted into being, he's still a kid a emotionally. He was completely dependent upon his mother, upon his mother's death. And, and it, it makes sense too, uh, you know, a lot about why he has these love hate relationships with these women who aren't his mother, because I'm sure deep down there was a, a struggle with how his mother treated him and how his mother scolded him and, and beat him and all that other stuff. Oh, he's and edible so, as shit. This dude is yeah. 100% like uh, Freud would be losing his mind right now. Oh, he's a textbook case for that shit. A hundred percent. It all comes. And then there's the question of like, was he uh trans? Was he in something that just wouldn't, he wouldn't have been able to have no name back then because he was fascinated with the doctor over the Danish doctor who performed the world's first sex change surgery. And he would talk to people about it excitedly, how amazing. And he would talk about how he wished and often thought about as a kid. He was what it was like to be a girl. But that, that um, also that also offers like there's a lot of things to think about there when it comes to the ideas of like, was that the case or was it because the most powerful people he saw in his life were women? And so true, power yeah. comes from being a woman in his eyes. And so he wanted to become a woman because of, like I have literally there's, you know, yeah, we, we're not trying to say we one an thing answer. or the other. It's just, I'm, you know, there's obviously yeah. something going on in his psychology about femininity, femininity, yeah. sexuality, yeah. something going on there. That's un, un, uh, Plus, Yeah. And you mix that with the religious abuse, the fami- familial abuse and all that other shit. It's he's just a cocktail. The, he's kind for, of the, the archetype like this was extremely yeah. this was an extremely Again, famous psycho case. Leatherface, but yeah, that, 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 that that switch that you know it goes back to the idea that there's there's people out you know if you look at suicide as example which is an incredibly touchy subject and you know but like if you look at that there are people out there that have lives that are like bad yeah and they're just like i'm gonna keep i'm gonna keep going and there are other people that don't and there's clearly something that there. I, I have no clue what that is, but there's clearly something in their lives that I think just like this guy, when it comes to murdering, there's something in his life that I'm sure there are a lot of people that have like gone through trauma, much like him that weren't like, and now I'm going to kill everyone. Right. And I don't like, I don't know what that is. Like there's clearly, I'm sure that's why there are thousands of books on the subject. Cause it's a fascinating yeah. Yeah, it's uh, what's that show with uh, the dude from Hamilton uh, with the really good uh, actor who's playing the uh, the killer. It's the co-ed killer, I think. What's that guy's name? Whatever. It's called like uh, brain. Ed Kemper. Maybe. Yeah, I think. Actually, I think Humble so. Ed Kemper. Yeah, well, I'm a serial killer guy. I like that kind of stuff. I think, yeah, what's yeah. the name of the show? Mindhunter. Mindhunter. Yeah, about? it's that stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. stuff like. People started to think like it literally wasn't even a thing people were thinking about until there Correct. were like notorious killers like this. You know what I mean? And, and you know, what's crazy, too, is like 
and this is kind of just going back into this, like the village here for a minute. Even when they found out about all the transgressions Ed did, the thing the townsfolk were most offended by was the grave robbing, not the murdering. When the murdering, they heard about the murdering, they could kind of understand it. When they heard about the grave robbing, they said, there's no way. There's no way until they had concrete proof that he was robbing graves. That to them mm-hmm. was a bigger transgression for some reason or another. And it probably has to do with the times and stuff. But yeah, just interesting. But it's Where also interesting. This, yeah. It's also interesting based on his religious religiosity. Right. Yeah. The idea that like as a person who's super religious, him digging up bodies seems to go against his own beliefs. Uh, but that also seems like. People do a lot of things that are against their beliefs. Let's not pretend. And so yeah. him digging up bodies is his gateway into, well, I need bodies. And yes, eventually he's really like, was. well, I guess I could just go make my own. Like you can see the progression. It's all mm-hmm. again, very one Oh one. Like it seems very easy to under, like I see where this is going. I see how he's doing yeah. this. And that's what's so messed up because again, it comes back to like, there's one like trigger in him that he decides he's going to do all this when other people would not and yes. it's and yeah. I'm curious what that one little like fascinating yeah it's scary, i mean it's impossible to, it's impossible to say you know i mean yeah. there's all sorts of tropes about it there's all sorts of like the loner the outsider you know because mm-hmm. you think about okay we all do things a certain way because we all see each other all the time we go outside and you know people might even argue like right now like maybe we're all turning a little bit into serial killers by sort of like <laughs> isolating ourselves into little groups based on different I promise I'm not going to kill any I uh maybe yeah, maybe I, with what am I like do with the you know, what I, you know what I mean you know we just no. you lock yourselves Ow. off you lock yourselves off from people who maybe are going to check you uh based on their other experiences you know you lock people you lock yourself off from that on all sides and you know and then you get in a sudden, fight on a plane yeah no I, yeah. I understand yeah. yeah you just have your own you just have your own <laughs> system of morality and what's important to you at that point and and you know law had such a lower presence in people's lives back then than it does now where like you know it feels like the police can see you everywhere just because you know and in some countries they can you know what i mean but like back then you're just kind of like in your own little weird bubble of yeah. gininess you know maybe he's eating and all you only those have beans. one small police station with like the a local sheriff that everybody knows and a handful of officers you know yeah it's it's crazy um, but yeah, we'll get to get back into it. Uh, he was staying, hanging at their house after dinner, playing with their kids. And suddenly uh, a family friend by the name of Jim, Jim Vorman burst into the house. Uh, he was the I'm sorry. He was Irene, the mother's son, uh, son-in-law. He came bursting through the front door, speaking frantically about Bernice's sudden disappearance. The wife looked to Ed and said, quote, Ed, how come everybody? How come every time somebody gets banged on the head and hauled away? You're always around to which Ed responded with his usual grin and a shrug. The teenage boys then asked if Ed would take them into town to get a better look at the scene. And Ed, as always, as he always did, agreed. And he got them ready and took them out to his truck. All the while, the cops were already heading on their way. Man. (laughs) First. They would swing over to his farmstead, only to find Ed not home. So they then went directly to the closest neighbors to see if they'd seen him. And of course, the neighbors were the Hills, the people who just fed him dinner. Officer Dan Chase and Deputy Poke Spees. That is a 50s name if I ever heard one. Poke Spees? Poke Spees. S-P-E-S. Poke Spees? 
It's yeah, a Star Wars. I love it's that name. It's a guy in Rogue Squadron. So much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he would be a guy in Rogue Squadron. That's the guy who got killed in Red 5. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dan Chase and, and Poke Spees were dispatched to look for him, and those were the two that arrived to the Hills home. They approached the home, stepped inside, and asked if they seen Ed. The family replied that he should still be outside in his truck if he hadn't yet left with the boys to head into town. And as the two officers stepped back outside... There sat Ed's truck, idling. They calmly walked up to the window, knocked on the glass, and asked Ed if they wouldn't mind talking with him a bit. He agreed, stepped outside, and walked over to the officer's vehicles. Officer Chase first asked Ed to walk him through his day. Once Ed finished, he then asked him if he wouldn't mind going over it one more time for him, a simple strategy to see if he could find inconsistencies in his story. And poor old Ed couldn't keep his story together even for one attempt. A small exchange occurred that can only be described in my mind as silly. This is kind of how they got Ed. So one of you can be Officer Chase and one of you can be Ed. I'm putting it in Zoom. It's a quick interaction. It's funny. It's funny. See, it's crazy that we're like, it's a funny interaction. This is a weird interaction. I just think it's it's a little silly. It's nothing crazy. Uh, Who wants to be Officer uh, Chase? I'll do it. Alex, you're Officer Chase. There you go. Done. Now, Eddie, you didn't tell me the same story come through there that second time. Somebody framed me. Framed you? For what? Well, Mrs. Warden. What about Miss Warden? Well, she's dead, ain't she? Dead? How do you know she's dead? Well, I heard it. Where'd you hear it? I heard them talking about it. (laughs) So Ed more or less immediately was just like kind of confessed accidentally, like didn't even really try all that hard. He just assumed they knew everything. He just thought he was fucked. Yeah. Yeah. He just immediately assumed he was fucked. Officer Chase at this point was convinced that he had the right guy and arrested Ed, informing him he was a suspect of a robbery. And while Officer Chase took Ed into custody, another policeman Arthur Schley was tasked with finding Frank's mother. And so he's the one that went into Ed's farmhouse first. Accompanied, of course, by the captain. And I'm going to say his name once and then just call him the captain because I don't know if I'm going to say this right. He was accompanied by Captain Shoeforester. I think that's right. Shoeforester. Shoeforester sounds right. Yeah, but it's spelled S-H-O-E-P-H-O-E-R-S-T-E-R. It's very bizarre. Sure. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, oh, there you go. That's what it's spelled. Oh, never mind. Fuck it. That's how it is. That's how it says. Anyway, him and the captain arrived at Ed's house late on that no- November night. They made their way to Ed's house, beginning to check each door on the outside one by one. As they crawled around that cold night, they discovered one by one, each door was locked, save for one. The door leading into the summer kitchen was only secured with a flimsy lock. The captain lifted his foot and kicked the door, hearing a a loud crack as the wood gave way. While the captain made his way toward the main part of the house now that it was open, Officer Schley stepped back and swept his flashlight around the room that they walked into. As he backed up, he felt his coat bump up against something, so he quickly turned to see what it was. And there... Sat illuminated only by the officer's flashlight. Oh, my God. A large, white human carcass dangled loosely by its feet. 
a crude wooden crossbar, three feet long, bark covered, and sharpened to a point at both ends, had been shoved through the tendons of one ankle. The foot had been slit above the heel and secured to the rod with a stout cord. Her arms were held taut at her sides by hemp ropes that ran from her wrist to the crossbar. Don't look up the, the front, pictures, guys. It's not, no, it's not, not pretty. The front of this corpse had been split open entirely so that its torso was, a little more, was little more than a dark, gaping hole. The head had been removed from the body as though someone had taken a trophy from a prized buck. The body itself had been butchered like a heifer or dressed out like a deer, except this was the body of Bernice Warden, killed only hours ago. It took Schley a few moments to even comprehend what he was seeing, but when he did, he was only able to utter the words, My God, there she is, before he ran out the back door, collapsed to his knees, and began to violently vomit. Shortly after, the captain radioed for backup, and Ed's house became a crime, crime scene as they scoured through, scoured through it in great depths. Ed's home was a true house of horrors. Beyond the many disgusting things that we talked about prior, the police found even more bizarre things, and here's where it's going to get even grosser. For instance, the coffee can where they found the kitchen, except for this part, was stuffed with lumps of used chewing gum. What the Another fuck, found a funny-looking soup. Yeah. <laughs> Another found what they assumed was a funny-looking soup bowl, only to quickly realize that it was a skull cap that was just sitting on the kitchen table. What? The more they looked through the house, the more skull caps they found, as well as complete skulls like the ones dangling on Ed's bedposts as decorations. The police captain, as he was examining the kitchen, also had his gaze caught by a peculiar-looking chair. As he examined it closer, he realized the woven cane seat had been completely replaced by smooth strips of human skin, while the underside was lumpy with fat. In total, they found four chairs matching that description in his home. Dude, it's fucked. Do not look. There are pictures of all of this for you freaky deekies out there. But I <laughs> promise it's not going to be a great first experiment in looking at crime scene photos, if that's what you're thinking. No. Yeah. One officer even found a cardboard box filled with female genitalia taken from the, peop taken from the people and corpses that he'd collected. Nine in total, and most were dried out and shriveled though one had been daubed with silver paint and trimmed with a red ribbon. Ugh. The one that rested on top seemed fresh to the officers. It consisted of a portion of the Mons Veneris with the vagina and anus intact. The officer who discovered this also said he noticed little crystals sitting on top, so he inspected it closer, only to find that it had also been salted. <laughs> just the faces salted? that you're making her yeah, for like preserving them. purposes <laughs> yeah salted like made... salted like you would salt a flank steak <laughs> you know a piece of bacon yeah. yeah yeah he was salting them keeping them as fresh for as long as possible he was trying to preserve them because remember he would wear these things and then make clothing out of it then another box had been discovered I'm which tired. contained i'm four, tired <laughs> contained four human noses while a Quaker Oats tin was filled with scraps of humans' heads. What? Like chunks of scraps skin with hair. Bones. Of yeah, heads? Like, like chips of skulls. Probably stuff that he chipped scraps off while he was doing things. Scraps of heads! I, in a Quaker Oats tin. It was branded nicely. It's not lit. No, not at all. Out in the shed, another officer discovered a pair of stained, tattered mattresses 
with something clearly sandwiched between them. <sighs> when he lifted the mattress, he found a burlap sack, a burlap feed sack that was steaming in the cold winter night. Oh, God. He took, he took the sack from the mattress, pulled it open, and Officer Willimovsky found he had discovered the severed head of Bernice Warden, taken off only hours ago. Another, and I'm just going to go through at this point, a small list of things that they found. Oh my God. Whole human bones and fragments, a waste basket made of human skin, human skin covering several chair seats, skulls on his best posts, as we said, female skulls with some of the tops sawn off, bowls made from human skulls, this top, very same tops that were sawn off, a corset made from a female torso, skin from shoulders to waist, leggings made from human leg skin, masks made from the skin of female heads, nine in total, he had nine different head of death masks that they called it. Mary Hogan's face mask in a paper bag, Mary Hogan's skull in a box, Bernice Warden's entire head in the burlap sack, Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of Gein's potbelly stove, indicating that he was feeding him, eating, trying cannibalism, but something more disturbing coming comes from that as well. There was, the townsfolk said during hunting season, Ed Gein would give them venison steak. Oh, but no. But it came to fruition that Ed never hunted deer and actually was squeamish at the idea of hunting anything larger than a rabbit or a squirrel. Now, there's no way to confirm it, but people suspect that he was feeding other people the meats that he was pulling from the corpses that he had oh. killed. Oh, my they God. Also found, uh, they also found a belt made from human female nipples, four noses, a pair of lips on a window shade drawstring. God damn it. That is fucked up. A lampshade, a lampshade made from the human, from the skin of a human face, fingernails from female fingers. And as Ed Gein was known for grave robbing, it was never figured out how many of these came from living victims and how many of those were from already deceased. Because the last most disturbing fact is that Ed Gein may have actually killed a couple of young girls. They found a young girl's dress and the vulvas of two females judged to have been about 15 years old. So it's possible. The police ended up bringing a portable generator and spent days going through this house, going through it piece by piece as the newspapers began to pick up something horrible was happening and would gather outside every time, every day. Horrible discoveries continued for days with the exception of one room, one room that had not only been locked, but at this point in time, bordered and nailed shut. As the boards were removed and the police entered, the site they were greeted with was, complete, was the complete opposite of everything that they'd seen up to this point. A bedroom and parlor in complete tidiness. They hadn't yet realized they'd just stumbled into Augusta Gein's room, completely preserved like a temple, as though they'd broken into a long-forgotten Egyptian tomb. So he kept... Uh, all the clothes completely neat, uh, neat and folded, but everything was covered in a fine layer of dust because the uh, he bore, he was he boarded up the room at this point. He was never going in there ever again. And uh, there's just a, there's a lot of suspicion as to why. Maybe he was like he had given up on that part of his life because, according to Ed, his mom's voice was the one that was telling him to behave and be a good boy, and yet he was going about not really being a good boy. Um, but yeah, that was the last room that they busted into and it was just preserved like a temple. 
is how they described it. So creepy. (laughs) Just. It's very creepy. It's very haunted house-esque. But at this point, Ed was firmly under arrest, charged with robbery, and held on a $10,000 bail, which in today's money averages to around $97,000. The judge didn't want to level the murder charge until Ed's mental competency could be determined. So... Ed was held at a central state hospital for 30 days for psychiatric observation. After the trial period concluded, he was found not mentally fit to stand trial. Oh, I was, I was, I don't know why I said he was. I had this weird broken memory. I was about to say, there's no way. (laughs) He was found not mentally fit to stand trial and remanded permanently to central state. In 1968, 11 years after his original sentence, Ed was found, this is why, because I was sort of right. Ed was found mentally fit to stand trial for first-degree murder in the case of Bernice Warden, but Mary Hogan's death was technically admitted as well. Ed was found guilty, and the mental competency trials began again. He was, for once again, found mentally incompetent and returned to Central State. Ed possessions were to be auctioned off on the 30th of March, 1958. But the farmhouse was burned to the ground on March 20th, 1958, 10 days prior. Now, officially, nobody knows why it got burned down. Only that that arson was suspected, but never pursued. There was never anybody who looked into it or figured out why the house burned down. For all intents and purposes, Ed was a model patient. The routine seemed to keep his darker thoughts and impulses at bay. He appealed for release in 1974 and took the stand, but was denied and returned to the hospital. In 1978, Edgeen then was moved from Central State to Mendota Mental Health Institute in Madison, Wisconsin. And on the 26th of July, 1984, Edgeen died of heart and respiratory failure and was buried in the family plot next to Augusta, where he would have most definitely wanted to be buried. But his grave now lies unmarked. And that concludes the story of Ed Gein and why he is the poster child for all those horror movie uh, incarnations back in the day. Psycho, Leatherface and all the rest. But we're done. Jesus. With uh, all the horrors. (laughs) So I hope you're feeling all right. My soul is tired. (laughs) I am exhausted. Uh, I hope you at least found it somewhat Interesting in terms of like psychology, though, because I that's where I find a lot of the interesting parts is yeah. just, I mean, look, it's complete broken mental state. Of course, like it's very interesting. I have <laughs> that weird, morbid bone in my body that makes me somehow not able to look away from these things like a car accident on the freeway. Right. Uh, but man, yeah. it's still like it doesn't, uh, you know, I always take a minute to perceive it as if it was real just to make sure I realize the gravity of it because if i don't i get carried away it was real yeah you know what i mean and and so uh, yeah. you know let's it's fun to talk about these things but let's just remember that some actual people got fucking that oh yeah, absolutely it's fucking no one deserved the death that he brought upon them he did it in a way that you know cowardly and hid behind things and it was a horrible horrible story and and all his victims deserve to be alive yeah to this day that said i'm obsessed 100%. with this like the psychology behind it like I, I can't yeah, not I think about why a person would do this. <laughs> Did you look up the and pictures? 
I mean, yeah, it's messed up. They're, they're <laughs> it's, really, they're, it's not pleasant. And any yeah. sort, like, it's just, I, I can't figure out what causes a per- I can understand crimes of passion and crimes in the moment sure. because I think everyone has had a moment where they've lost their cool and, like, they, pr- if they probably were capable of something wild. But this is one of those things where it's a person who, knew what was wrong 100% knew what was wrong and chose to overlook that because of some other problem they were they suffered or something and it's fascinating to me because you know humanity is capable of great things and really messed up things See, now you get the hook. That's why I'm hooked on true crime too. It's the psychology and what drives these people to get to this but point. It's no, but but there's like a difference in thinking when it comes to mo- like I don't say modern man. That's a weird statement. But the sure. idea of, you know, in the past, people did this to each other just cause like there are time yes. periods in history where it was like, hey, yeah, we're going to like cut you up and wear you around. Like people did that. But it. In those time periods, it was because we don't view you as people. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 you know, and I wonder, you know, how he saw this because I, it, it's interesting that he s- attacks these women, but he clearly views them as people because he wants to be them. Yeah, right? it's, like, it's, it's, it's like fascinating. I don't know. I think like maybe it just goes back like this is just me being like weird and, you know, probably not being an expert and just talking out of my ass. But like if he wants his mom to come back so much, you know, and he sees these people that are like his mom and he I bet you he did a lot of acting like his mom. You know what I mean? Uh, around oh, yeah. the house and talking to himself like his mom. And so maybe he just needed to bring that type of woman back and be able to act out what she does. You know, it could be simple as instead that. of like living the Oedipus complex by like marrying somebody like that or trying to date somebody like that. He had to like take their body and cut them up and become his mother. Yeah, that's it's so, so bizarre. That's because she had the power and, and yeah. he had none. And now his way of getting back at her is he will have the power by being her. Like it is. It's like all of it's, it's not a stretch. good logic. Let's be honest. I mean, he, he doesn't yeah, yeah, have yeah. it down. But, you know, I I get that sort of weird sense that he just had like a singular mission in his life and he Mm -hmm. didn't realize how far he was going to go himself. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he stopped to think about it too much. I think he just sort of like did it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He wanted he wanted the body like to so he could cut it up and make his furniture. He didn't think about the process to get it. The furniture doesn't make any sense to me at all. Well, that was because he was obsessed with the Nazi yeah, he people. Obsessed, he's so obsessed he was, with like corpses and stuff also, which is just that, double. Like, <sighs> he wasn't like he like he was traumatized, clearly, obviously in a broken man. But he also had these dark, creative, if you want to call them that impulses. To, like, yeah, he was like expressing weird himself. Nazi fantasies. Yeah. yeah. In a weird, criminal, horrible way. And that's the other thing is like, if you do look at them and I still don't think you should look at the pictures if you're not, especially if you're not ready for it. But like. They don't look, they're not the hands of a practiced master. They're just, no, not at all. They look horrible yeah, and crude. Yeah, it's, it's, it's even worse because they're so poorly made and stuff. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't, it's disturbing in the way that like when you see a kid and he's like covered in sh- stuff, 
and you're like, what the fuck happened right. to you, kid? And you're just like, that's gross, you nasty little monster. Like, that's what it feels like. It feels <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it, it's yeah. Don't it, like you said, if you're going to go look at it, just be prepared. That shit's it's not pleasant to look at at all. But regardless, that's it. We're almost done with with hollow. Like that's that's the Halloween spookums of Ed Gein. Next week is going to be in Alex's hand. Take it away, Alex, for that. I'm excited to see what you bring to the table. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, thank you guys for coming along on this weird, creepy journey. My next set of series will be not so grim and not so gruesome. We'll do something more lighthearted. It'll be a lot more, a lot more enjoyable, a lot more laughs, I think. But uh, we're off to go do Minisode 69 on Patreon, Long-awaited. everybody. Long awaited. Long. So if you want, you got to jump over to Patreon, patreon.com slash Pod. We're going to go. Uh, the talk switch about some we fun. just flipped right there. I know. We <laughs> we, like, we, what we, a uh, dark yeah. episode. Next up, 69 jokes. <laughs> 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 if you want a palate cleanser, head on over to the Patreon. We've got the mini soda oh, waiting we'll over there palette. for you. We'll clean your palate. Yeah, we'll clean your palate. Nice and, mm. nice and clean. Mm, mm, mm. All right. I don't, I don't want to make an Ed Gein joke off that. I'm just going to end it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Mr. Gein, Mr. Gein. Anyway. All right. I'm out. Me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, Holy shit, get out here. So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky. <laughs> <laughs>